0: Welcome in to Chasing Interesting. It has been a minute, and uh, I got some cool stuff uh, to tell you about and a really good guest uh, that I talked to earlier this afternoon who is actually my college roommate. Dan Cohen is a reporter with Action 41 News in Kansas City, the NBC affiliate there. Spent six years in Rockford, Illinois, at the NBC affiliate there as a sports reporter before moving in mid-April for... A news job. Hell of a time to make that life decision. And so we talk about what it was like moving in the middle of a pandemic, covering the pandemic in a new city. And then he was on the ground in Kansas City in some of the protests that uh, escalated to the point of him getting tear gassed uh, as part of a news crew in Kansas City as protesters clashed with police and just. There was one story in particular in this conversation that I found absolutely fascinating and how he was reporting on specific parts of the protests and trying to be as absolutely accurate as possible when a lot of the coverage winds up being wide, broad brush statements, how he was trying to paint with a little bit of a finer brush. So really interesting conversation, really cool stuff uh, with Dan coming up in just a minute. Now, the reason that this has taken so damn long to do another podcast, we got on a nice little roll with our storyteller series. And Dan was actually lined up to go whenever it was early June, late May, when The protests and the social justice movement in this country that was sparked by the murder of George Floyd, uh, as well as the murders of Breonna Taylor, who the murderers, the police officers, still have not been arrested somehow because justice is relative. Uh, And uh, Ahmaud Arbery as well. Um, When all that kind of started happening, I at work uh, was able to tackle some of those topics conversation about social justice that we had on catch the spirit uh, with kai mccullough her mother and charity blackwell from dc scores was just an amazing hour-long dive into the racial dynamics in this country the way black people feel in america like true honest to god stories and the ways in which our lives are impacted by race that we don't necessarily think about a whole lot Uh, I started a group with a couple of other people uh, called Humans Not Hashtags. And that has been just an amazing outlet to, again, tell stories. And the goal with Humans Not Hashtags is to create the kind of empathy that those of us who feel like this fight is personal create that kind of empathy in everybody to make it personal to everybody to be like these are our friends these are people we consider family these are people that we love that could be next straight up to to get down to the point and so those projects took me away unfortunately from this one they were just the proper outlets at that time and some of the things that i was doing with this podcast just didn't feel quite as important and then uh went to utah for the nwsl challenge cup which was an amazing experience uh, and now that i'm back uh dan luckily uh god bless him stayed on me and was like hey we still want to do this i was like yes um great conversation and then the plan going forward is to pick this up uh, on a, in a little bit different format, and continue to do interviews and continue to chase interesting, but with the help from a friend. And I'll tell you about that after the conversation with Dan, which I want to let you hear right now. So, uh, old friend, how you doing?
1: Oh, it's been it's been interesting, Craig. It's been <laughs> an interesting it's been an interesting time. If you know anyone who's moving during a pandemic, they really need to think about it.
0: Yeah, really uh, I know by. you. Uh, I know my friend, Caitlin Sharkey, uh, who moved from Milwaukee to Chicago. Uh, basically a bunch of crazy media people. No one else is going anywhere.
1: There is no other breed of human that's going to do this in the middle of a pandemic, but only us. We're a special breed, I suppose. Happy so.
0: 2020, where nothing makes sense at all. Time is a well. construct.
1: It is a tool of oppression. All days end and why. Nothing makes sense anymore.
0: That is about, uh, you know, it used to be that's the only thing other days had in common is they end in Y. Now every day is just the same. Like, time, what is a day? Um, It's weird. It's a run on sentence. We uh, we start, you know, as we record this on a a Tuesday afternoon, like, we start our programming again tonight for the spirit. And so, like, I actually need to keep track of what day it is. But I have been in this time and space, like, especially in Utah, man, it was crazy because it was like, is it game day or not game day? And if it was game day, we had a set schedule. And if not, then we kind of had a set schedule. But, like, it didn't even matter. Like the game day could have been a Monday, a Tuesday or a Sunday, Saturday, whatever. And that like was the only thing that mattered relative to the rest of the week. Literally. It yeah. did not matter what day it was.
1: No structure whatsoever when it's not a game day. So that, yeah. that basically sums it up pretty much.
0: So uh, let's get into to your story a little bit. First of all, just, I think it's funny that we're even doing this because we were hoping to do this like two months ago when I was doing the storyteller series. And then like, yeah, the whole world went bananas again. Um, and luckily, I was able to cover a lot of the things that I wanted to cover on the Spirit podcast um, in terms of what was going on in the world. Um, and that kind of took priority, obviously. But um, in that time, you have made this really incredible transition, not only moving from one city to another, but from sports to news and then right, literally diving right into one of the most, like a time that will be told in the history books covering news and and writing that history in a lot of ways. Um, So if I had asked you, let's say a year ago, two years ago, five years ago, like, all right, Hey, in June of 2020, you're going to be covering really important news. Like, would you have had any inclination that that news would not be sports news?
1: No, not at all. And in doing sports in a small town like Rockford, it's all these people really look forward to Rockford for it's, it has a lot of um, it has a lot of good in it, but unfortunately there's a lot of bad in it too. It is a crime riddled community and you know the people that are from there are not proud of that. but what I can tell you is the people that are from that city and from the surrounding small towns they love their sports. and I was in it seven days a week, even on my off days I was keeping track of everything and working a weekend job, you're off Wednesdays and Thursdays. So there's still a lot of sports going on when you're at home watching TV so, if you had asked me five years ago if this is what I was going to be doing in 2020, I would have look at, looked at you cross-eyed and then laughed you out of the room and asked next question.
0: Right. So at what point in the last five years then did the possibility of getting out of the sports realm become a reality for you?
1: I think it really came about probably after the 2018 midterms. It just felt like there was this sea change going on, not just in my community because we had a lot of political transition going on there, but it just felt like things were different. People were more engaged. People were talking about a lot of different things that they normally don't talk about. And I was getting the sense that, you know, I have something to contribute and I've been contributing to sports and that's an important conversation for a lot of people as well, but it just seemed like there was this opening where the skills that I had in sports could move to news And to be perfectly honest with you, there are too many of us people that look like us in sports. There are too Mm -hmm. many white guys in sports. And I was sensing that there was a personnel shift in terms of who is getting those sports jobs through no fault of my own. We need more women in sports. We need more people of color in sports. And I am neither of those things. And that's where they need to be. But there is always an opening for someone in news anyone can tell a good news story from any background because it touches so many different people in so many different ways so i was getting the sense that the job market was not ideal for me but i knew my skills could translate to something else and i didn't want to pigeonhole myself into doing sports because anybody in tv can tell a good story it doesn't matter if you're in sports or news it's just do you want to put in the time to learn more and be Um, Intellectually curious about what's going on around you and not just focusing on one certain thing.
0: That's so interesting for a lot of ways. One, like the obvious, like we could just brag on Newhouse here, right? We could just say, like, how many broadcast schools where you spend the first half decade of your career going in covering sports, do you actually feel like you were legitimately prepared for news? And it's something that interestingly enough new house now does offer you know sports journalism degrees and it's something that they were very proud of when even as recently i'm going to use the word recently very relatively here as we were there because i haven't been there in a long time you're a couple years younger than me or a year two years younger than me you're yeah I, don't know. I haven't
1: been back since 2015 it's been a long time Jeez,
0: yeah but when we were there like they were very proud of the fact that you graduated like yes we have the best lineage ever of sports broadcasters but they all have journalism degrees And that prepares them to cover a multitude of things. And when news crosses with sports, you'll see the new house grad is very prepared. So like that part, okay, I said that part. I did the gloating and saying we're not going to do the gloating. But I I think what is actually more interesting, um, which is the point here as we chase interesting, uh, is that you are okay with the fact that the job market is shifting. Because there are certainly going to be people who would look at your circumstances and go, this is BS, like affirmative action is BS, like I hate this, like I'm, I'm the affronted white man. And you are going like, yes, these jobs are harder to get for someone who looks like me, but that's actually a very good thing.
1: Yeah, we need more diverse voices in the conversation. And when you looked at the industry probably 10, 15 years ago when you were watching Sports Center and watching a lot of the studio shows, it was mostly older, middle-aged white guys. And it was a very monochromatic-looking chorus of voices. And when I realized that the job market was shifting in a different direction, that's a good thing. We need a more diverse chorus of voices. We need more backgrounds. We need more perspectives and viewpoints. Not just the east coast white kid who went to syracuse university there right. are a lot of east coast white kids who went to syracuse university who think they're going to be the next scott van pelt there is only one scott van pelt for a reason only he that's can do he's because he's very he tall does. and and very bald and and clean shaven but there's a reason that we are in the moment we are now there is a course correction going on right now and i think that's a good thing. And timing is everything. The guys that got in the door at SportsCenter and all of the other big networks, if they were in my similar shoes, they might not be where they are right now. Timing and being born when you're born, for better or worse, is a part of your circumstance. It's just the way it is.
0: Yeah. And and I think that we are all better when there are like some people look at diversity as like, oh, we just need the statistics like it's about it's like it's not just about the representation, although that's a really, really important piece. Right. It's important Mm -hmm. that people one that especially in professional sports where predominantly the athletes are people of color, that people of color are also able to tell their stories because they have perspectives that we do not. Um, but that's it, exactly it it's the perspective it's the, it's the lens through which you see the world and the stories that are not shared um, is I mean it just it just makes all the sense in the world that we're going to have a shifting dynamic that is more representative and that allows these stories to be told so kudos to you for taking that in stride and going alright let me see what else I can do with my skills um, in these first couple of weeks obviously when you when, actually let me ask you this when you took the job um what was the news environment? Like when you actually, I don't know how long the the gap was between when you accepted the job and when you started. So like, I'm assuming it was in 2020 and coronavirus was getting started at some level. And then obviously as you take the job, the murder of George Floyd, the aftermath in terms of the protest and and the social justice movement that is ongoing starts. So like, what was your timeline there of of making that shift? And at, at any point did you go, what on earth did I get myself into? Great
1: question. So I accepted the job in the middle of March I think my first interview was the day the NBA shut down. Like, Rudy Gobert tested positive huh. for the coronavirus that night, and I I reached out to my, you know, the folks who knew I was interviewing for this job because I didn't want to get it out too much because that's what happens when you tell people, when you tell too mm-hmm. many people it never works out, and then you have to backtrack and tell them it didn't work out. So I told, like, my parents and my siblings, I was like, so the NBA just shut down? I have no idea what's going to happen now. I... Thankfully, we were able to move that process along. I accepted the job in the middle of March. My first day was April 6th. So we were right in the heat of the shutdown, stay-at-home orders. We were still in that first spike of cases. Um, And really, they threw me right into coronavirus coverage. How can we cover this in different ways and how can we advance the story in different ways over the next few weeks, however this goes? And there were so many different angles that we found. I lost track of them because it touched everyone in every conceivable fashion. I did a story on the beer industry. I did a story on folks who got the virus and recovered, but their loved ones died. It Mm. just bounced around in so many different ways. And it was really nonstop coronavirus coverage April into the into May into the end of May and then George Floyd was murdered in Minneapolis we got wind of a protest in Kansas City that Friday night which I believe was the 29th you'll have to check the calendar for me that Friday night we went downtown there wasn't a whole lot going on but there was a gathering of people the police showed up I was there for about eight hours we went wow and then that Saturday I was called in to help out as a field producer because the station was not just going to have a photographer and a reporter together. We needed a third body with every crew because we knew that the protest was going to increase exponentially just based on what we were hearing and and social media activity. Mm. I was at that and the protest, believe it or not, was within walking distance of our station. Our station in Kansas city is positioned down the block from the plaza, which is like the main shopping hub and, where the yeah. fountain is and all of that. It's within walking distance, so we walked there. Um, I was at that protest Saturday night from 4 p.m. until 1.30 in the morning. And Now, we were just, real quick,
0: the people that you're there with, had you met them before? Like yes. What was your interaction with them? But you're still obviously very new to them.
1: Yeah. I, thankfully, was with my assistant news director and one of our photographers who I had worked with, so we knew each other pretty well, so it wasn't That's like good. I was meeting them for the first time that day. But that is pretty funny because... There are still some coworkers I haven't met yet, but right. that's, that's another story for another time. But we were there from 4 until 1.30. If anyone on our staff hadn't been hit with tear gas or pepper spray prior to that evening, we all got that first experience that night, myself included. The police were heavily armed. They were in full tactical gear. Protesters were throwing things at police. Police responded. It was a long night um and that's when it really hit me you talk about you're seeing history written in progress and that's when it sunk in people are going to be talking about this time for a long time and we were right in the middle of it literally right in the middle of protesters having their eyes soaked in milk because they had tear gas sprayed right in their face Mm. and you see that for the first time and you're like I only watch this on CNN and in documentaries and fictionalized films. You're not actually seeing it in person. And then when the pepper spray gets lodged in your throat, and you're coughing nonstop for five minutes. It's scary. And of course, my experience as a reporter with resources is completely different from a protester who might get stranded and be on their own. It's a totally different thing. But it's scary for everybody in a different way. And... Um, you know we were in touch with our newsroom all night and we were told if you are in a compromising position you leave and come back to the station and mm. there was one moment where i thought we were in trouble but you know the protests kind of spread out and it calmed down as the night went on um we were wall to wall though from about 10 until 12:30 on our air and i want people to know how rare that is because there's saturday night national programming that's on that has advertiser money and needs to be shown, but we dumped out of that to show people who were watching at home what was going on in their backyard. And we were live on the air uninterrupted, maybe a couple commercial breaks. We were live on the air uninterrupted for more than two hours. That only happens when there's like a tornado coming through your backyard. You know, where you have to keep the public informed that there is life-threatening severe weather in their area and they need to take cover. But we had three or four reporter teams out and we, we all got hit with a combination of tear gas or pepper spray, and we had some protesters heckle our live shots, and it helps to have a third person on scene when you're doing, you know, that kind of reporting, but it was, it was an overwhelming experience. I did eight hours Friday night, eight plus hours Saturday night, and it was a mental drain, But you have to be in the moment and you have to be there and that's when you're thinking on the fly skills as a sports reporter come in handy
0: <laughs> Yeah <laughs> for sure.
1: So that was a long answer to your question.
0: No, it's a good answer and it brings up a couple of uh, it brings to mind a couple of follow-ups. I'll start with this just more directly to the, the protest and that night like how much of that is an out-of-body experience almost where you feel like you're watching yourself go through it um, and you're kind of like almost having this inner monologue versus like being caught up in the moment. How much are you thinking about the job? How much are you thinking about the history? Like, I mean, I always think these questions can be a little silly, but I mean it's clear you put some thought into it. So like what is literally going through your mind as you are out there? How much are you a professional? How much of you are are just a human being like in that moment witnessing it as an observer or on some level as a participant in the role that you're participating in it.
1: It was an interesting balance between the two because we were walking around when you have a camera and a microphone, people know what you're doing, right? So they know that you're working but you know there is also this perception of the media that you kind of have to tear down a little bit and as we were watching a lot of this unfold not in the heat of the moment and i can get to that in a second but i just started having conversations with people like, why are you here what does this moment mean to you and a lot of these people i was talking to couldn't have been more than 16 17 18 years old and those are formative years for a lot of these young adults and they're seeing what's happening in their city unfold right in front of their eyes and and what was interesting is i talked to a 50-ish year old african-american woman who was kind of watching everything unfold and she looked at me and she was like i just came out here to watch and i don't know if i can stay much longer because she felt like her life was being threatened by Mm -hmm. heavy police presence and stuff was being thrown and tear gas and pepper spray were being deployed and at one point an american flag was burned in the middle of the street wow that was an interesting moment because the guy who lit the flag on fire was confronted by a couple of other protesters and they were yelling at him this is not why we're here but then he responded no this is why we're here And it was a very interesting back and forth and it never got violent and it never escalated past that But it was like these two forces were coming together in this one area in the middle of the street. It was like, this is history unfolding. These two viewpoints about what's happening in this country and in this community are happening right in front of me. And that's when you start taking that 360 degree view and you hover above and you have that out-of-body experience. It's like, what brought these two viewpoints together?
0: Right. Well, and then you kind of zoom in, right? And you go, okay... Everyone's talking about the protesters, the protesters, the protesters or the police, the police, the police. We can do it both ways, honestly, that, that like this is some homogenous group. And in that moment, you have that moment unfold in front of you um, where you have these two groups of protesters. You have different people that are there for different reasons. And yes, like, you know, I always push back for obvious reason on like, oh, the looters and the rioters, because it's such a small percentage. But like those people are there. Um, yes. It's just that the the vast majority of them aren't there to cause trouble. They're there with a very distinct purpose of protesting social injustice, racism, police brutality, all these different things. They don't want to see more black and brown bodies in the streets like straight up. That's what they want. Um, but how that manifests itself even is different. And I've heard this around the anthem as well, where it's like. Are, are we not protesting the flag? Yeah, we are, because the flag, you know, represents the government, and some for and we don't like what's going on with the government. And so, for some people, that when they say, "Oh, it's not about the flag. It's not about the military," for some people, it is. And so, when we try to make these things, especially that are symbolic, homogenous, I think that's really interesting um, that you literally have that moment of symbolism play out in front of you in such a physical way. Um, and I'm curious if that then affects how you try to do the job of describing what is happening, and not just in that moment, but moving forward of, okay, when you're describing the protesters, do you change your language? Do you change this, that or the other, to try to more accurately reflect, re, more accurately reflect the different I won't call them factions, but the different thought processes that are happening in groups and in individuals that are protesting.
1: And I think what you're talking about, Craig, is you're talking about nuance and context, right? You need to color everything with nuance and context, and provide a more—forgive the term I'm using—a a, full-colored picture of everything. You need to color in the entire—you um, need to color in the entire picture. And I think when you talk about why is someone thinking the way they are, what are their experiences? What are the experiences that they're bringing to the table how are they informing why they're feeling and thinking this way and it does change how we do the work and it does change how we approach telling these stories i can give a great example we i spoke to a protester who was unlawfully detained at that protest that night this was a few days later And he didn't want to be identified on camera, and we were able to shoot it in a creative way where you couldn't see his face or his really identifier in any way. But he talked about why he was there, and then we had a really candid conversation off the record about why he came to us and why he wanted his viewpoint. And then he told me, he was like, you need to bring more voices and perspectives to the table. You need to have everyone involved because it tells a more complete story and paints a more complete picture of why we're seeing what we're seeing and i actually did mention that encounter during a live report you know i we had footage of the flag burning and i was like this is not what you think it looks like there was a moment behind that that you need to know about it's not Mm -hmm. just someone let the flag on fire and yelled death to america that's not what happened there was a thoughtful conversation that unfolded after that gesture
0: was made. Yeah. So here's the part where I, despite having the uh, requisite Newhouse given skills to do so, would very much struggle as a news reporter to not it inflict personal opinion into this. You are someone who follows politics. You are someone who has a very defined moral compass. And that, I think, drives the way you think about politics and you, the way you think about the world. So how do you... Try to be, you know, just as straightforward as possible without both not letting on what your personal view of a situation, if it's political, may be, but also not overcorrecting to try to stamp out when policy decisions and politics have clearly affected a story. And that is a huge reason why it's a story and making sure that the full truth around the context of a story is told
1: the term that I have heard from um, my agent is a sports term. You do play-by-play. You just provide a moment-by-moment account of what's happening, and it's a little harder when you're on TV, but when I'm off camera and you hear my voice and you're seeing the images, it's play-by-play. You're Mm -hmm. talking about You know, there's this over here, it smells like this, it sounds like this, we have this conversation here, we have that conversation over there, the police are doing this, there's this interaction with police, and oh, by the way, there's also this interaction with the police. You're trying to kind of provide the entire scene of what's going on without, like you said, inflecting opinion, and that is hard to do, because I have my certain viewpoints and feelings about everything, but... Nobody cares what I think and feel. I am simply there as an interlocutor to tell them about what's happening and then they can make their own informed decision or ill-informed decision about what's going on in front of them. You know?
0: Listen, they'd be informed. God.
1: Yeah, I know. What a thought. Yeah, (laughs) like what a thought. But we are there just to provide play-by-play and here is everything. You decide for yourself what you think about it without telling someone else what to think.
0: Right. So here's... Like, that's that's great. I almost pulled a John Favreau, Ponte of America. That's nice, Dan. Um, yeah, that's like, cute. I know, it um, is, but it's, no, it's like, tough. No, it, it, like, that. that is the correct answer. But I guess when you really dive into it, like, this is the hard part, and this is where I would struggle, is like, okay, if we want to continue the play-by-play thing, like, if you were, like, we're doing basketball, right, and a 25% three-point shooter takes a three, like, at what point are you allowed to call it a bad shot? Right? Like Or or you just at, say at a twenty-five
1: percent you say a twenty-five percent three-point shooter just shot a three. Decide for yourself if it's a good or bad shot.
0: Right. I guess that's fair.
1: But that's providing full context, right? It's not just saying this guy shot a three, it's this guy makes a quarter of his three point attempts and he just shot a three with a minute and a half left in the game and they're down by four. You know? Right. It's like you're providing all of the pieces of the puzzle And then someone can decide if it's the correct way to put the puzzle together.
0: Right. And I guess it's just deciding. That's really interesting. That's a good. Either I picked a really poor analogy or you just like solved the argument and like that. (laughs) And uh, That's really, really a well job well done of like deciding what is a relevant factor, what is not, what to ignore, what to not. And that's that's I think I guess that's that's what makes great reporters or great play by play men great is that they know exactly. Where those lines are, all, as much as you can, because to to a point, that stuff is subjective.
1: Exactly, and you have to provide all of the relevant objective information as fast as humanly possible as you can do it, without injecting, "Oh, that was a bad idea," "That was a good idea," but it's also the "No, don't do that, don't do that." Oh, the shot went in. That was a great idea, but wasn't right. a
0: great idea. Right? You
1: know, it's all context, nuance, timing. All of those things that fully inform someone, but they don't want to take into account the full context, the nuance. It's providing the gray matter when people would rather have, for lack of a better term, black or white. You know. Yeah. Gray yeah. matter is important, you know.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, how much political reporting have you done so far? Is that not something are you on general assignment where you're covering more of a, a live action type of thing?
1: Uh, it's a mix of both, and, and you're actually catching me on on primary day in both Missouri and Kansas, and I did a little bit of political reporting uh, earlier today and interviewed a candidate, um, and a lot of thought went into the questions that I asked. There is a lot of discussion about X. What are your thoughts on X? Now here's the follow up on Y. Why are your thoughts on Y what they are? and it's how just di- getting the answers out of them
0: right you know? how different are those interviews too because like the day we're recording this is the day that the interview between the president and Jonathan Swan comes out uh with Axios that was as good of a piece of journalistic work as I've seen in, in a while it was just you know no we're sticking with this topic here are the facts this is the actual data here's the context and it was it, it laid bare you know how in in a. Uh, Unprepared, the uh, interview subject was to answer those questions. And, uh, you know... That is a polite way of putting it. Yeah. It, I put it meaner on Twitter. Um, but it's still accurate. It is what it is. No. To use the phrase of the day. Um, yes. Yeah. So, when you're interviewing specifically a politician, someone who... And it really, I guess, it doesn't have to be a politician, but a public servant. Someone who's accountable to your viewing audience. Like, how much more intense is the research and how much do you feel it's your responsibility as an interviewer to fact check them on the fly and how challenging has that been when you don't necessarily know these people you're still relatively new to the town uh you know the interview uh the interview dynamics are always different anyway because of covid right now so you, it's not like you're in a regular interview you're interviewing setting anyway so how have you tried to balance and handle all that
1: Uh, The preparation is so critical because you need to be ready for them giving a polished political answer that plays well on TV. And I think the one thing that aspiring reporters need to know how to do as they go through school, for any young journalists listening, know how to ask a follow-up question and be ready to keep going down that road if you don't get the answer that you think is appropriate. I have interviewed our mayor, I have interviewed our county prosecutor, I have interviewed other mayors, I've interviewed, you know, national candidates that are from this area and you have to be ready for follow-up questions. And if they give you the polished answer and it's like, no, but here's this and I need to know more about this and what your thoughts are and what your past history is on this topic as well. Um and when you're interviewing two different factions on the same story, then it gets become then it becomes even more complicated because you have, you know, two competing arguments and you want to present the other argument to the other person, but then they're gonna be ready to shoot back and it's a constant boxing match, I guess. And you need to be a good sparring partner with your interview subject, or else you're gonna get rope-a-doped into the corner and the interview's gonna be so yeah you need to know how to ask a follow-up question which is exactly what jonathan swan was doing when he interviewed the president he was ready at a moment's notice to ask a follow-up question
0: yeah that's and he uh he did a good job of it put it that way he did uh, he did excellent. he was, it was ready excellent. it was really yeah. really good like that that is legitimately an interview that will be studied in journalism classes um specifically political journalism classes um to just not let stuff slide and it was it was really well done um Let's go back to uh, to Rockford. Yes. How was your – because in a lot of ways, like, you grew up there. You got the job when you were, what, 23?
1: I started there 22? in February of 2014. I was 23.
0: So you you spent five years there, like, growing up, six years there, growing up, essentially, in that town. You know, I'm sure you got to know a lot of people there. They get to know you. They see you, like, literally, probably physically – with her on the air, um, you know, from a, a 23-year-old baby face out of college to this, yeah. this striking young man. Uh, oh, you <laughs> thank you, Craig. Uh, you know, uh, that you go through there, in uh, uh, the evolution that you go through, like, how did growing up in that sense, obviously, you know, your childhood spent uh, in the suburbs of Philadelphia um, in South Jersey, but how did, how did growing up there, do you think, affect you? from being an East Coast kid that went to an East Coast school with a lot of other East Coast kids to having that professional maturation era of your life happen in the Midwest in a small a ish town.
1: I kind of steal this phrase from LeBron James. He talked about the Miami Heat was um, was graduate school for him. Mm-hmm. The Cleveland Cavaliers were his collegiate experience and his first go-around in Cleveland. Rockford yeah. was graduate school for me, I think. Uh, you're jumping right out of school. You're in school for four years you have no idea what you're doing you've never adulted in your entire life and then you go out and you become this independent person where you have to make important decisions personally and professionally and do what's best for you in a lot of ways and and you don't have to be selfish all the time but there are moments when you do have to do what's best for you and i did not envision staying in rockford for six years um you know the lifespan of A person's first television job is typically two, three years. And I doubled and tripled that. And I got to be honest, there was a lot of FOMO. You see your peers work their way up and you're in Rockford wondering, what am I doing wrong? And then you realize you're not doing anything wrong because this isn't a cookie cutter profession. There Mm -hmm. isn't a set timeline as opposed to doctors and lawyers who go to school and do the residency. Yeah, it's like, (laughs) you know, everyone goes through a different timeline and I found a timeline that worked for me. And I would, I'm, I'm thrilled that I was there for six years because it prepared me perfectly for what I'm doing right now. And I did severe weather coverage out there. I did political coverage. And then obviously I was mostly sports all the time, but- What I learned out there is when you're so close to the people that you cover all the time, you become a really good listener and you develop a sense of empathy for these people without letting that infect your storytelling ability. You get a certain camera angle, you ask a certain question, you always ask at the end of an interview, is there anything else that we haven't touched on that I should know about? And you get that full, picture and you tell some really intense stories i mean these are small towns that have very small populations they're not economically um you know they're not economically um i don't know what the word is they're not economically strong it's Mm. very heavy agricultural um the economy over the last few years has not been very kind to these people but the one thing that they love to do, which I was proud to do every Friday night is, the small town shuts down for the high school football game. Mm. And yeah, you won't, you won't get everyone's perfect play, but you know, when mom sees their kid score a touchdown and then she goes home and watches it on the news, that does something for these people. You know, yeah. that's an important service that you provide. They're not gonna watch their kid on Center. They're going to watch them on the local news. We provided a very important service to these folks as sports reporters. And and they knew. They watched us hustle to three football games a night and then turn it around and anchor the football show on a Friday night. So that was valuable experience. You really get up close in person and really get to know these people. And that's why it it pissed me off to no end that I couldn't say goodbye to a lot of these folks because I was leaving in the middle of... The pandemic and mm. can't really shake hands and hug people when you leave
0: right was yeah. yeah growing up in a very different kind of town in a very different setting did you ever feel like you became part of that community or were you always reporting on them
1: uh both I think um you know I was a I was a member of the community you know I would go out to charity events and go out to the Friday night summer market and I I went out, I didn't go out of my way, I consciously made the decision to be involved and be present and not just be this person who helicoptered in on a Friday night, oh here for the football game, gonna go now, here for the basketball game, gonna leave. You talk to people on the sideline, you ask them how they're doing, you ask them what are their concerns, what are their worries and that turns into good storytelling because if there's something going on that you don't know about, all you have to do is start a conversation with somebody. And that turned into some really good storytelling. I found out, I mean, some of the like athlete of the week segments that I did while I was there, which was a weekly Wednesday night high school athlete segment. A lot of those just came up because I was having a conversation with a parent who knew the kid. Hey, there's a high school senior female who just so happens to be a wrestler. <laughs> what? What? You don't care about that ever, you know? And then you reach out to mom and it's like, yeah, she's got practice in the suburbs on a Monday night. Wanna come check her out? Yeah, absolutely. And then you find out that this high school senior female wrestler learned wrestling from her brother who committed suicide when he was 16 years old. And that just comes out in the interview. And it turns into a completely different story. It's like, oh, she learned from her brother. Look at her now. Oh, by the way, her brother's initials are on her arm. And the date he passed away is on his arm, too. And what do wow. you do? You zoom in on her arm while she's practicing. And you hold the camera angle on there just a little bit longer. And it turns into a well-rounded, fleshed-out story. It's not just, oh, she's a high school female wrestler. Cool. No, it's a high school female wrestler who learned from her brother who took his life far too soon. And wow. I told a bunch of stuff. I mean, Special Olympic stories and... You meet all of these families. It, these people have lives that, these people's lives have meaning that go way beyond watching them play a game. Um, and as a result of that, you cover stories that are you know, pretty difficult to, to tell. And you have difficult conversations with people. And when the camera turns off, you just kind of look at them and say, thank you for sharing that moment of vulnerability with them on camera. Because talking on camera is not an easy thing for a lot. These people have done it zero times in their life right and then the light turns on and it's like whoa
0: yeah it's, it's a very kind of real open up
1: it is yeah Yeah, yeah when and, you're at that you light, can't, it's no joke and but but as the interviewer you can't let it get to you and cry with them you just have to go with the moment and then you did you ever, the did you
0: ever though did you ever like just go you know what my better play here is giving full on into the humanity as opposed to trying to maintain even if it is a thin professional wall
1: yeah there were a few moments Um, the high school female wrestler um, she got choked up and I actually included my question to her I was like you think about him a lot don't you and she didn't answer she just nodded her head and I just kind of let the conversation carry from there but you kind of have to let them up like you're in radio you let yeah. the moment breathe, right? Right. It's the same thing on TV, and sometimes it turns into a beautiful moment that you can include in a story. It doesn't just yeah. have to be sound bite, sound bite, sound bite. You can kind of let the moment breathe a little bit without letting it breathe too long, because five seconds in television time is an eternity.
0: Right. Right. You know? Yeah, but the pacing and everything—that's, I mean, that's what makes good editing and good storytelling is. Look at uh, what Tom
1: Rinaldi does on on ESPN for a living. Those are breathable moments that he brings to us every day and he's probably the best at it that's the extreme example but you know they kind of just sit with you for a little bit and they marinate for a little while
0: absolutely absolutely uh all right what stories do we want let's let's lighten the mood what stories do we want to tell from college
1: oh for the love of god well did you start with the fact that you and i were roommates your senior year of college
0: yeah i'll have uh mentioned that in the intro.
1: Oh my god! I think well, the you, best,
0: oh. my best memories from that apartment are definitely football Sundays.
1: Hundred percent. That was great. Did we have Sunday Ticket in that apartment? Yeah. So we had two. Yeah, we we had two
0: TVs and Sunday Ticket, and mm-hmm. we would get pizza and or wings, and our knucklehead yes. friends would come over and track yes. ungodly amounts of snow into our apartment. Oh uh, Lord. We were up on a we, hill.
1: Remember that?
0: How could I forget? Yes. Uh, and we were, <laughs> What the worst part, and uh, you know, I, I almost said technically it's your fault, but it's also my fault because like I kind of left the apartment hunting to you, and we were very late in the process. So yeah. uh, you did the best you could, and I could have uh, gotten involved for both of us sooner, uh, and we both could have gotten involved sooner. So really, it all worked out to,
1: for the best, I think. Though
0: no, it was fine, but like we were on a hill that still meant we had to go up an even bigger hill to get to campus. Like yeah. To get yeah. to our apartment, we were on a hill, and yet somehow when you got to the bottom of that hill, you had to go up a gigantic hill to get yeah. to campus. And that, w- that just that sucked. Brutal every- in the winter. My class attendance senior year was not as high as it would have been if we had not lived in that apartment.
1: Well, I think for most college seniors, their, their attendance dips as the year progresses.
0: Sure, but mine was directly related to the apartment.
1: No, like there is, there
0: is a factor of that that is directly related to going, it is two degrees, I'm not walking up that motherfucking hill.
1: Yeah, that's a fair point. And the snow we had was also just ungodly. But no, we had some really good times in terms of radio our senior year too. I mean, you got to cover an Elite Eight basketball team. Uh, Syracuse football went to a bowl game that year. Um, did they go to a bowl game that year?
0: Not our, not my senior that. year. Yeah, they went the year before and the year after, and it was Pinstripe Bowl both years, I believe, against Western. That's Virginia. right. Two wins. Yeah, that's right. What up? See, you, Mountaineers. Actually, Geno no. The Smith, first bye. that was that was your senior year. Uh, my junior year, who did we State. face Pinstripe Bowl? Yeah, that's right. That's right.
1: Kansas State, but we got Geno Smith my senior year, so Bye, Geno. Um, God, good senior year stories. Whew gotta dig deep into the vault for this one that's eight years ago we're
0: old I know I don't remember much honestly not like in the I don't remember much for my senior year of college kind of way like (laughs) I just don't have I just don't have that kind of memory like those aren't the things that necessarily stick with me but every time like I'm with our friends then the the memories come flowing back and they'll be like oh you remember this I'm like oh yeah oh yeah
1: buried deep in the recess of my brain um I mean I turned 21 your senior year of college so um I remember my 21st birthday at our beloved Chuck's Bar.
0: May it there. rest in peace.
1: Yeah. Though they, they are bringing it back.
0: Did you see that? Are they? No. They are.
1: They are. 2020 giveth and taketh away more than giveth, but they are giving us <laughs> Chuck's back. Um,
0: that's, that's nice. Although we're way too old to ever go back there.
1: Oh, God.
0: We're, we have reached uh, what we call Fagan's Only Age
1: yes and we've been yes. there for a couple yeah. Of years yeah that's that's true i feel like we had a good z89 banquet that year too um when you were a senior yeah
0: was that is that the matthew Barry I think banquet
1: yeah in my yeah opinion. i
0: think so i think so because i think that was after my internship which was between junior and senior year so yeah, yeah that, that, that was great. um that, that was uh that that night um winding up in a uh, no longer existing food establishment on Marshall street with Matthew Barry at a very late mm. hour and the yeah. entire Syracuse basketball team was there. That was a good time.
1: That's right? Oh my God. Whew. Yeah. It just, um, it kind of all bleeds together. You know yeah. what I mean? But I mean, we had a yeah. good, we had a good run when you were, uh, when you were on campus.
0: Yeah. It was a good two years. It's a good two years. Yeah, it was. You, you uh, packed
1: a lot in into two years. I mean, you just took off, you know? Yeah
0: came in hot on Z and I'm trying to remember, were there any, I just feel like a lot of it was like the, the, the memories that when I get together with, and it's been Neff and John Carlo most. Um, yeah. Yeah. And you know, I still talk to Brewer and Brown a lot. Um, and like Brewer and I exchange like random, you know, cause this is my friend, Alex Brewer, who's now a producer at ESPN. And um, he uh, and I hosted our show together our senior year on Z89 our college radio station. And so, like We still have bits that we send back and forth and like people that were on and around the show, which was a lot of our friends, would just crash the show. Um, actually, that's, that's probably one of my favorite Dan Cohen memories, is the, uh, the sporkle with the, the old English lyrics on Call It oh A Rap. Oh
1: my God.
0: <laughs> that's probably... <laughs> that and Football Sundays when my Dan oh my- Cohen senior year memories. God.
1: Oh my god. I'll have to find that quiz. I don't even oh, I remember. Oh, do you really?
0: Yeah, I, I have there's a Can you send it, you, it to me please? Yes, I will. I will. And basically what happened was and we'll end the podcast oh. on this jolly note. There oh, Sporkle, which lovely. is a quiz website, had yes. this quiz that had like modern rap lyrics translated into old English. And Dan found it. <laughs> And was like, don't ask me how we people. need to do something with this. You, I feel like you were a big Sporkle guy. Spent a lot I of time on, on that website. Yeah.
1: Which, not so much anymore. Not so much anymore. I've, have, I've, have we're, found we're adults way with uh, hobbies my now. Time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we read books and stuff. Men. Yeah. Right. Yeah, let's <laughs> not push it. Um, yeah.
0: <laughs> and so you yeah, should do something with this. And I was like, I know what we'll do with it. We'll read them on the radio and do a quiz um, show. And so you came in studio and we just, we did them in different accents. We had the song clips ready. We were quizzing each other. Oh, Oh it was, it was pretty sensational. A gut busting
1: time. Yeah, that was, oh my God. See, that's a memory deep in the recesses of my brain that I couldn't bring up right away, but someone else remembered it.
0: And if, you know what, if no one else cares about the last three minutes, we enjoyed it. This was for us.
1: And Craig moment that no one else (laughs) has any clue as to what's going on. But I can can hear
0: Neff giggling from here. It's fine.
1: Oh my god. You can hear Neff giggling from like the other side of the country if we're being completely honest.
0: Yeah, well that's where he is, so it uh it works. Uh man, this was fun. This was this was that was great insight into some of the things that you're thinking about as you uh, do this and uh, you know, congrats on the gig. Uh, again, you know, it's, it's Kansas city is an amazing place as I'm sure you've already found out on the level that you've been able to explore, but, um, having spent a little bit of time there when I lived in Lawrence, um, it's a really cool part of the country and I got to get back there. So when I do, obviously I'll give you a shout.
1: Yeah, please do. There is good barbecue waiting for you. You already know that. And what I can tell you, what I can tell you though, is even though I got here after it happened, this city is still riding the high of Super Bowl 54. Really? They are. They are. You see red everywhere. Um, Patrick Mahomes just signed the biggest contract in sports mm. history. Craig, I'm not kidding you. He could run for mayor tomorrow and win in the landslide.
0: Oh yeah. Seriously? No, that's such a Chiefs town. It's 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 like even when I was there they were terrible. Like 2 and 14 yeah. terrible and it was yeah. still just an overwhelming Chiefs town. All right, last thing on the way out. This is the real last thing. What's the best barbecue you've had so far there? Q39. Have you had the Z-Man at at Joe's yet? Not yet. Okay, you gotta get... I've had Joe's,
1: but not the Z-Man.
0: You gotta get the Z-Man, but Q39 is unbelievably good. It is... Q39
1: is righteous, and I will say, I don't want to besmirch the other good barbecue we have here in this town. All fantastic. All wonderful, but there's something about Q39. It is... It is excellent. Chef's we'll get game. some Q39. Yes, we'll get some Q39 when you're back in the. Some
0: Boulevard country. beer. We'll have a time.
1: Cheers, Craig. We'll do it. Cheers.
0: <laughs> Dan Cohen, Action 41 News. Action Jackson, 41 News in Kansas City. Also, my college roommate and purveyor of rhymes in old English uh so i promise on the top of the podcast or off the top of the podcast however the phraseology goes uh that this pod would take on a little bit of a new format uh with some help from a friend that friend i call him joseph his name is joe gerard aka just joe uh i met joe when i was 18 years old maybe 17 even Back in Greenville, South Carolina, my hometown, where Joe was working as the night jock on B93.7, the radio station, top 40 music that I grew up listening to. And Joe took me under his wing as an intern the summer after my freshman year, and then again uh, the summer after my sophomore year. So, my first two college summers, I interned under Joe at B. And incredibly formative experience just a tremendous person with a big personality who taught me so much about radio whether intentionally or just by getting to observe and what's really cool is as our lives have evolved from me in turn him night music radio jock into what we are now um, we have stayed intertwined and stayed connected and uh we have come to the point for full circle where now I have this platform. And, uh, Joe and I were talking when I was out in Utah and we were griping about certain things and we're like, man, we should just do this in podcast form. And we've talked about doing stuff together before and working together before. And we always kind of knew there'd be a way for us to do it. And, uh, we decided this is it. Like we're two guys that we think can be entertaining, which is nice. Um, but that have interest in all kinds of stuff like all around the world Joe since moving out of radio uh five six years ago moved out to LA we'll talk about this a little bit more next week um so I can let people let him tell the story accurately but moved out to LA got into like management was trying to do some acting did some acting worked on some game shows uh was a manager for some A-list actors uh, and has gotten back into that management business now, um, but has worked with some incredibly cool people, some entrepreneurs in different spaces. And so just a really well-rounded dude who has experienced a lot. And uh, he's one of my best friends uh, in, in the media world. And so we also are there's just no telling what's going to happen when you give both of us microphones. Uh, and that, that was true going back to when I was an intern. There was just some really funny stuff that we have to dig up into the archives. So, um, we will, uh, start that next week and Joe will sit in on some interviews as well. I hope to keep the interviews going and talk to interesting people about interesting things. Uh, of course that's the whole premise of this podcast, but at the very least Joe and I will be able to talk amongst ourselves and I hope to do like more quick hitter style, go through the news and and everything that's going on and just be able to comment on it and, uh, keep it short and sweet 30 minutes, uh, unless we have an interview and, uh, it'll be sweet. And also because I'm 30 now, uh, and have, in the griping, uh, and, and all of this, uh, and our setup was like very get off my lawn ish. We decided instead of yelling at people to get off our lawns, we're going to welcome them. So, uh, we're going to call that segment. Welcome to my lawn or welcome to our lawns. Probably welcome to my lawn there. I just think tanked it one man. Think tank. Maybe we'll call that a segment too. Uh, so we'll have some fun with it. It'll be great. And, uh, I'm really looking forward to it. And once I get my full recording equipment back, we'll have wacky sound effects. There goes the serious and gravitas of this podcast. Uh, thanks for listening. Can't wait to be with Joe next week. Uh, we're probably going to release on Thursday afternoons. So be on the lookout. Of course, the best way to do that is subscribe, whether it's uh, you follow on Spotify, which, by the way, seriously, free shout out. The best way to listen to podcasts on Spotify uh, or Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever, wherever you're at. We're there. So uh, look forward to that. Thanks to Dan again for coming on. And see you next week with Joseph for another episode of Chasing Interesting.